Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Atlantic Aviation. Atlantic Aviation provides aircraft ground support in 80 plus locations across the United States. I am proud to be partnered with a company that puts their people first and highly values diversity and inclusion. Atlantic Aviation's vision and mission is evident through their relentless focus on culture, safety, and service. Experience the Atlantic attitude today. Check out www.atlanticaviation.com to see all 80 plus locations and plan your next visit. Joining me today is the Chief Executive Officer of the Registry of Aruba, Alexandria Alex Colendis. Alex had fond childhood memories of spending her summers at the Registry of Aruba, which is a company founded by her dad. Although she was surrounded by business aviation, Alex had a soaring interest in the arts. After receiving a bachelor's degree in fine arts and a master's in art management from Columbia College, Chicago, Alex started her art career in Miami, working for an art gallery and Spinello Projects. To save up money to move out to California in pursuit of furthering her art career, Alex started working as the PR manager and civil aviation liaison for the Registry of Aruba. Her interest in business aviation grew, and she started to earn her place in the family company. Alex is here today to talk to us about being a young executive leader, how she managed her business and team during COVID, and how she is empowering young women in aviation to pursue their dreams. Alex, welcome to the Aviate with Shasta podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing? Hi, everyone. Hi, doing great. Thank you so much for making the time to talk with us today. We're so excited to learn about you, um, your incredible background, and your leadership in aviation. But before we get into all of that, I really want to get to know you. Um, so what is your story, starting with young Alex, like at the age of 10? Uh, please share with us also how you ended up in business aviation. Sure, of course. Uh, so Alex at age of 10, um, I was definitely a very like headstrong child, <laughs> which I think my parents love and hated at the same time. Um, but I was also, I'm the eldest of four or five kids, but uh, my older brother is significantly older. Um, so I'm the eldest of like the group of four. So I was also very responsible and kind of like motherly, uh, cause we're really close in age, but, um, I just always kind of did things to the beat of my own drum. So I, I love to play dress up. I loved being extremely creative. Um, one of my best memories was like coming home from school and, and dressing up. And we had a trunk of costumes and I would constantly, I think I, actually to an age that's a little bit embarrassing would do it. I think I was like 13, 14 when I finally stopped uh, doing that after school. So interesting. Were you kind of like um, a tomboy at all? I know you're very artistic. and uh, No, actually, I was extremely girly. Uh, so however many bows I could put on my head and glitter, that was me. 
I would, I was very experimental with fashion and I think I still am obviously more curated and more like adult version of Alex fashion fun, but, um, definitely always kind of pushing the boundaries when it comes to my clothing. Very nice. So let's talk about art. Um, because you went to school to study art and after you graduated, you, um, had spent several years, uh, in the art industry and what was it about art that attracted you to go and pursue an entire career in it? So I think I was very lucky that I was always exposed to art. Both my parents love art and they collect art. So since I was really young, I was always exposed to going to museums, um, Actually, one of the things that we still do with my mom is we kind of like to quiz each other on who knows more art history facts. So I don't know. I just it always just made me happy. Like being around art just made me happy. And it just was something that like it for me was just it was no brainer that that's what I wanted to do. I just love being around it. I love the industry. And yeah, it's just so different than anything I had ever experienced. Have you tried like painting or creating yourself? Do you do that as well? My undergraduate degree was both art history and also studio art. So actually, I, I part of part of it we had to kind of take classes and everything. So I did do painting. That's definitely not my thing. <laughs> um, I'm much more uh, into photography. So I I definitely did photography. Um, but as I was going to school and kind of creating my own art, I realized that my talent was better suited for kind of managing people's arts because a lot of artists don't have the ability to kind of speak about their art in an eloquent way um, or, or sell themselves. And that's that's not really what they're supposed to be doing. You know, their passion is to create. And I think I was able to kind of be that voice for them, which is why when I chose to do my master's, it was an art administration. So it's an MBA with a focus in art. And it was all about like, how do you manage an artist's career? Yeah. And what was like your ultimate goal? Like what were you hoping to to do ultimately with your art career? I wanted to uh, be a gallerist. So just like an art dealer. <laughs> that was my goal. So who's your favorite artist? I'm curious. Mark Roscoe. I'm obsessed with him. I will buy one of his paintings when I become a millionaire or <laughs> probably like multi-millionaire actually yeah um but yeah the color field paintings get me all the time <laughs> wow you know I had um this experience to go to France I spoke at the uh it was a UNESCO event uh they invited me to Paris and I had to go see the Mona Lisa like you know when are you ever in Paris and that's all you hear about and uh, it was just, it's fascinating to see like the progression of art and so many different expressions of it. <clears throat> but the Mona Lisa was just like, it, it's smaller, like, and for some reason, I envisioned it to be this big painting, but it was quite small. And um, to bring everyone together from all parts of the world to see art and its history, it just... It was so beautiful, really, just to be in the room with all of these people um, appreciating what artists have created. Um, so I totally get why you would want to pursue a career in this. Um, so how did you end up in business aviation? So some of you might know that um, my father actually is the one who started the Registry of Aruba. Uh, so it's always kind of been a in my, I guess, blood. I 
would intern at the office since I was little. Um, if you called back in the day, I might have answered the phone. Um, I would spend my summers there just kind of, I think, more than working, like harassing the staff, honestly, as a little kid. Uh, so it was just always kind of a part of my life. Um, but I, as I explained, I was always very like independent and kind of a headstrong kid. So it was never, it was never something I wanted to do. I never wanted to work with my dad, not because of the industry, but I wanted to make it on my own. I didn't want to be like daddy's girl. Um, so I actually kind of rejected the idea for, for quite a while. And when the company kind of started expanding and my older brother, who was the one working with my father, got to move to San Marino to manage the office in Italy, my dad was kind of left alone and I was in between jobs. I was about to transition to move to California to work for a different gallery. And he asked me to kind of just work with him, like set him up for the summer. And he's like, you don't have to do anything aviation related. You can just do like marketing and PR because that was part of my, my background. So I was like, okay, like that's, so that's fine. I'll help you out um, and I'll make some money for the move. And that's kind of how it started. And then just nine years later, I somehow haven't moved to California yet. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, goodness. Do you think that was like your dad's plan? Like, oh, let's keep her home and near. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think part of him hoped that that would happen. But at the yeah. same time, he's very good at kind of letting us pursue our own dreams and kind of do our own thing. So I think, again, obviously, I think all parents want their kids at home. But I think he would have been fine either way. I just kind of ended up falling in love with aviation. More so, not the technical side of it, but just like getting to experience new new things, new people, and um, the, the traveling aspect of it just kind of you know, once I got, got into it, I got the bug and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, what, like, what is your elevator pitch for someone who's curious to know about, uh, the registry of Aruba? So usually what I tell everybody is like, obviously there's other countries that can do what we're doing. People that can register aircrafts. Um, but what we're so good at is, speed and convenience and customer service like that's our specialty so yes you can register your aircraft with the fa but basically the clients that come to us it's time versus money so um the fact that we're able to do something that can take others weeks to months in a weekend is kind of what we're known for as well as our customer service approach so we try to treat every one of our clients as a a family member and they ultimately end up becoming that. Um, so I'm getting married at the end of this month actually. And a significant amount of our clients are actually coming to the wedding because we do end up bonding so much with them. Um, that, and that's just kind of what we're so good at is creating those meaningful bonds. Um, cause I feel like in aviation, while it is a big industry, it's also a small industry where so much of it is word of mouth and recommendations. You can have the prettiest marketing and PR, but if you don't actually aren't authentic and trustworthy um, and kind of have a good quality product that people can recommend, it's not going to make the difference, honestly. Yeah. Congratulations on getting married. Yeah, that's exciting. Wow. Um, and in terms of aviation, you know, 
what I've learned, and I learned this very early on, is that people value relationships and the industry is very small, but those relationships last forever. And uh, it, it is a very unique industry and people sometimes want more of that one-on-one interaction more than they care about the product uh but more than in most industries and i think that that's where for me the crossover from art to aviation was very easy because the art industry is very similar where a lot of times they're buying an art piece because of the trust that they have in the galleries the relationship that they have in the galleries to recommend this artist to them and that was part of what I had fallen in love with in the art world. And when I found that again in aviation, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I think this could work. I think this is a good fit for me as well. Yeah. You know, I appreciate your crossover and bringing art into, you know, how you're seeing aviation. Um, It's interesting because, you know, I'm a pilot. I love flying, but that's not who I am. Like, I also love cooking. I love, um, like expression and I don't know if you found this while you were doing your transition from art to aviation but the people around me and this was at a at my university Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University everyone was so focused and just it was aviation 24/7 so it was a bit hard to to you know like have conversations outside of aviation topics even now because again i my background is in art i'm not uh, a technical person in aviation so even now sometimes speaking with some of our inspectors and some of our clients um this passion that they have in terms of like landing an aircraft as cool as i think it is there's only so many times i can watch a landing video <laughs> You know, I just don't, I don't feel the same way. I think it's amazing and I'm impressed by the skill and technical level that they have to do that. Um, but it's, I, I don't share that with them. So there's sometimes that I'm like, okay, can we talk about something else? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I didn't grow up wanting to be a pilot, I came to it at a later age. Um, so I noticed that. And uh, my husband's a pilot. He knew he wanted to fly since like age two. Um, and he can just go on forever. And, you know, I think it's important to um, be able to have your passion for aviation and also passions for other things, because I think it's how we can relate to other industries and, you know, diverse people. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, it's interesting as you were talking about art and just connecting it to aviation, I thought, like, I don't really hear that usually when I'm talking to someone about aviation. So that was really refreshing. So you are the chief executive officer for the registry of Aruba. Um, And I know that you worked your way up there. You started in PR and then you got into the director of business. Um, You spent a couple of years as the chief operating officer. Uh, What was that transition like to go to the ultimate leadership role within your company? Um, So I think part of it was also the fact that I was my father's daughter. I wanted to prove myself even more. So I made it a point to kind of like work three times as hard as anybody. Um, And and just to gain the respect of, of not only my colleagues, but also of my father. And I think a lot of people would probably just assume that I got this role for being his daughter, but that's definitely not the case. Um, If anything, 
I don't know if dismissive is the right word, but he would be, I guess, harder on me than he would on most of his employees because he just wanted to push me further um, and just demanded so much more from me. At the same token, I think I have a, a really unique ability to kind of be in meetings and just kind of listen from him and learn from him that, that other employees don't, don't have that ability. Uh, but it was, it was definitely not a, an easy transition or even a straightforward trajectory. I think, you know, we're dealing with a, a very male-oriented industry. And when I got in it, not only was I young, I started at 23, but I was female. And I think for the first three years, I was just known as like Jorge's daughter, um, <laughs> which, you know, that kind of sucked. And I'm not the type of person who particularly enjoyed that or wanted to accept that as my role. So I, I made it a point to kind of be known and be noticed and and just maybe not be the smartest in the room, but at least the most knowledgeable. Um, so when someone did talk to me, I definitely was able to to prove to them that I wasn't just like for his daughter, basically. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine uh, with your father overseeing uh, the company, how hard it would be for you to come out and just express who you are and lead the company based on how you would want to lead it. What were some tactics that that helped you just kind of stand out and be strong and do things about the way you would want to do it? So I think a lot of it at the beginning was to get my dad to not see me as his daughter in the workplace, but just as an employee. So I was very, very strict about like when I'm when we're in the office, we are a boss and employee. When we're out of the office, we're father daughter. Um, so I think that was something that really helped um, just kind of keep things clear. Um, the other thing was to integrate myself in everything that the employees were doing. I wanted to know what everybody was doing and learn to do it. Uh, a, a big thing that I, a big issue that I think we had at the office is, you know, kind of like that older school mentality where it's very much different departments and they didn't really interact with each other. I came into it again with an art background. So we were much more collaborative. So I was used to kind of talking things to people and bouncing ideas off of everyone. And I was like, no, 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 guys, like we need to talk, like we need to have meetings. Um, so I basically was like, okay, enough of everyone just kind of working independently. We're going to do cross training. So I kind of took everyone out of their comfort zone and basically forced them to learn what the other was doing. And also learn myself. So whether I'm not doing it now, those tasks, if one of my employees runs into an issue or something happens, I know how to do that task. I know how to help them out. Um, I understand every process that goes in the office. So I think just like integrating yourself and not a lot of times I think bosses tend to isolate themselves or just think of the bigger picture, but not really kind of be ingrained in the day to day processes. And that was something that was super important to me and also just very important to kind of create a team that worked uh, better together. Yeah. Wow. I love that. It, clear boundaries so that everyone's clear on roles. And then um, the teamwork mentality, um, you know, that's one thing I think people have a, 
a misconception that leadership is someone who's at the top and they just direct. But leadership really is just managing people, bringing people together and working towards a common goal. Um, so yeah, you, you pretty much great tactics. I think our listeners are, can absorb that and hopefully apply it, uh, when they're in those leadership roles. Um, so we're starting to see more young people become founders and senior executives. The C-suite titles come with a great deal of responsibility and sometimes scrutiny. What has been your experience like? I know you've talked a, a little bit about this, but um, especially at the beginning of becoming CEO in terms of like your team responding and um, accepting your new position. Yeah, so there was um, a lot of, I don't know if pushback is the correct word, but there was a lot of resistance, I think, to me at first, especially with the government side of our partnership. So we are, just to kind of give a little bit of background of kind of how we operate, we're a private company that has partnered with the government of Ruba, um, and we kind of help expedite the process for our clients to ensure that the aircraft gets registered um, and it's a smooth transition for them onto the Rupa registry. So the government part of the registry was used to dealing with my father. Um, so when I came along, I think that, you know, these are older gentlemen, like 40 plus, and I don't know if they didn't like being told what to do by me, but it was, it was definitely not the warmest welcome. <laughs> and I definitely had to get them to kind of see that I wasn't their enemy and that I was kind of their friend and we were here to grow the project together. And I think once they realized that, um, we actually have a, a closer bond than I think my dad ever did with them. Like I talked to these guys almost every day. Um, and I think when they realized that I, I wasn't just going to kind of oversee them, but I, I, I wanted to work with them. I think that that has been like I, my biggest claim to fame with the office is when everyone sees it, like, I'm going to do this with you. Like, I'm going to get my hands dirty too. Like, I want to be a part of the team. I don't want to just kind of be overlooking it. Once they kind of see that that's kind of my strategy and everyone's a lot more receptive to that. Um, and that's kind of really how I felt I've kind of turned the tides, both with the staff with the government and also just like older um, clients that again, were used to just dealing with my father. And once they kind of saw like how I operated, um, I guess just kind of liked that because he was the type of, of manager that he would just be like, okay, I'm going to push this job onto somebody. He kind of just oversaw everything, but he wasn't really doing the day-to-day -day processes. And that's fine. Like everyone has their own styles. Um, I guess that just wasn't mine. No, I can kind of relate to what you're saying because, um, you know, it's hard not to take it personally or be offended when you have really great intentions and you want to do something. So when I started to share with people that I wanted to fly around the world, you know, some of the responses were like, oh, that's really cute or, you know, like, good luck. I just got this idea that they weren't taking me seriously. And once I got past like, okay, you know, this is just the reality. Uh, this is a very male dominated industry. And 
I'm very new to this. So rather than getting offended, what happened was um, I just thought I need to work with them and I need to prove myself. Like I need to show up every day. I need to put my best foot forward um, and show these people that I'm in this and I'm committed. And so I, from what you're, the story you shared with me, I feel like that's what you had to do as well. And over time, you build this bond that's so strong. And you're like, wow, when I think back to where we started and where we are today, it's such a big difference. It, I feel like it, it ends up making it worth it. Um, I don't know. To me, it, it ended up being kind of like the best thing that I, I could have done, honestly, without even intentionally thinking of what I was doing. Um, it just kind of was my approach to like, OK, I'm just going to have to like get in the, get in the trenches with them. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, since we're on this topic and there are not that many women leaders in aviation, especially diverse women, you come from a Hispanic background. You're originally from Honduras. Um, did you experience or have an experience where you were discouraged and you were, you just wanted to walk away? Um, how did you overcome adversity? Um, there was never, I think, a, a, a moment where I wanted to really walk away, but there was definitely times where I'd get very frustrated. Um, I, I think, I think like every woman has has examples like this where you'll be like at, at an event and the client basically is like, "Oh, well, he was very direct. He basically was like, my face wasn't mattering today because I guess I was revealing." too much of my chest. So that's all that was going to be focused on that night, apparently. Um, so things like that, you're just kind of like, wow, did you just actually just say this to my face? <laughs> um, or being on phone calls where I'll be the one talking, but they'll thank my colleague. And I'm like, well, I, I didn't realize that Justin's voice sounded like a woman's voice, but okay. <laughs> um, things like that, where it was just kind of more like fr frustration because you're like, why? Like, why can't you just accept the fact that like a woman can give you advice and can give you and be just as knowledgeable? Um, so I think it was it was just moments where it's just like, well, uh, I guess men are Neanderthals sometimes. And even like even my own brother and father, I, I think I, part of me being here has really helped them not not become woke, but I think understand the power that women actually do have because i i think at the beginning it was just them too so it was very much a boys club and then i came in and and i think they saw it at, at first as like a little like side project like like a, like i was like their little pet and i think as i started to learn and grow and started to bring in business they were like oh wow like <laughs> this is an asset and we should take this seriously so i i think just I don't know. Yeah, it's just more moments of frustration where you just get like very annoyed and you can't believe that we're in 2022 and people still are acting that I, way. I can't even imagine when you mentioned your father um, and your brother. Yeah, it, it would be eye opening for anybody. Um, but that's that's incredible that you were able to change their views around. Um I kind of want to still talk about your time as CEO with the Registry of Aruba. 
Just out of curiosity, how many aircraft are registered in Aruba, roughly? We have about 180 aircrafts registered, and we do both private and commercial aircrafts, um, both like uh, 135 certificate aircrafts, which for us is an AOC, um, where it's a charter on demand, as well as commercial airliner. And how did COVID impact your operations Um and following up with that, as a leader, how did you keep your team, including yourself, connected and motivated? So we were very fortunate. I know the aviation industry got really hit by COVID. We were kind of fortunate because we have a big team of inspectors that are based worldwide that we were able to kind of still send out to service the aircrafts. And we also are very technology driven, like our company is very focused on technology. So immediately when we kind of saw Zoom take off, we're like, well, why don't we do Zoom inspection? And so I think we were actually the first registry to have regulations on how to do virtual inspections. Um, so I think t- I, I know that COVID did a lot of damage, um, but in for us, I think it helped us push ourselves in, to innovate in ways that we might have not necessarily done. We might've gotten there eventually, but it kind of give, gave us that kick in the pants to kind of be like, okay, you need to move in this direction. So I think it was, you know, the first two months, I think everyone was scared and it was very uncertain. And once we kind of were like, okay, this is the reality that we're living in. Let's try to figure this out. Um, I think we were really fortunate. So I'm just, we're lucky that we managed to kind of grow, not just keep the business afloat, but grow the business. Cause a lot of the, the, the thing is that we are a private company. So we have flexibilities that government entities don't. So the idea of, of working from home for a government entity, I think people scrambled a lot. We are used to working remote all the time. Like I, I conduct half of my business on my cell phone. Uh, all our employees have laptops. They work off hours. They're used to working, uh, again, like from their homes, like late nights and, and weekends. So it was just kind of like business as usual for us. Um, so we we had that flexibility already built in that made it easy for us to kind of bounce back quickly. Um, and I think the way that we managed to kind of keep each other sane during the pandemic and being locked up was we were doing weekly meetings prior to COVID. Uh, so we kept doing the weekly meetings on Zooms just to touch base with everybody. And I also would try to kind of reach out to our employees like periodically independently to see how everyone was doing, as well as once kind of social distancing became a thing and we weren't all terrified, we tried to do kind of like some team building exercises together that were safe and COVID friendly, but where we're able to get together. Uh, so we did like a candle making class. We tried to do a cooking class, but um, it got shut down because of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we tried to do kind of like events where it wasn't anything related to the office or aviation, but stuff where we could bond and kind of um, ha- like build memories together that got us out of our comfort zone and and but still got us working together as a team. So as a leader, um, when you have these really tough moments that is really challenging, whether it's your company or just even you, do you have like a tribe of people, a community that you go to that support you in your time of, of like need? 
So the one thing that I've been very fortunate with is there's actually a, a good group of women in aviation that I managed to kind of befriend. Um, and it, it's just, I think a lot of people or a lot of women kind of feel alone. And I'm fortunate enough that we, I was able to kind of make those bonds. And whenever I feel kind of insecure or, or not really sure um, of my decisions, they're they're older and they've kind of been in the industry longer. So I like to bounce ideas off of them. And then also, I, I definitely have a support built in by my father and brother. So again, I, I'm lucky in that sense, too. And so I, I think I, I have a good amount of, I guess, support around me that that makes difficult days easy. Yeah. And how important, like if you were talking to a young woman getting into aviation, like how important are these groups of women, sometimes men, um, in terms of like just going through this journey in aviation, progressing, how important is it? I think relationships are key to this industry and just business in general. I I'm a strong believer in that people do business with people that they like. Uh, so the more that you can build relationships and kind of get mentors, I think the better off you're going to be. I just, I learn from so many people, um, even people that I've had negative experiences from, I think just like take, take it all in. Um, just there's, there's so everyone has like knowledge in their own right. I think one of the things I always tell my staff is we have a huge pool of inspectors that are, have worked in the industry for years upon years in different segments as pilots, as head of operations, like reach out to them, talk to them, like hear their stories because it's, um, it's amazing what they've been able to accomplish and amazing the wealth of knowledge that they have. Um, I think Google is great, but sometimes you know, talking to these people, you can just get so much more out of it. So I, I'm a strong believer in kind of building relationships. Yeah, 100%. And it gives you confidence as you're having these discussions, um, as you learn these perspectives and just make a new friend. I do want to talk about your background in the sense of you are from South America um, you've had, you've been fortunate, you've had the support of your family, but I know traditionally young women who want to pursue different careers don't have that support of family. Um, what is your advice to them if they want to get into aviation or aerospace or business aviation? I, to my advice is just to try it, just go for it and don't care what anybody says, cause you're never going to please everybody. And ultimately, at the end of the day, your parents are going to love you no matter what you do. It's just, they're built in to love you. So, and it's your life and you have one life and you can either regret your decisions um, or just go for it. And if it, and if you fail, then you fail, then you come home. You know, I, I don't know. I think you learn more from your failures than from not doing anything. Yeah. And as a woman uh, with your background, have you ever encountered imposter syndrome in aviation? I know I, I struggle with it every day, but. Uh, yeah, I, again, I, my background is in aviation and I am always like, what am I doing? 
all the yeah. time. So definitely all, all the time I feel like I how can I even talk to these people? Um, but then I kind of go back to like, well, I've been doing it for nine years. I've taken the insane amount of courses. I actually took a course um, with the JAA uh, that apparently uh, is catered towards pilots that of like, 50% of pilots that have been working in the industry fail. And the professor swore that I was going to fail and I actually passed it with a B plus, I think. It was like, I think 82, is that a B plus? I'm not sure. Yeah, imposter syndrome is so common for people who have different backgrounds. And even for me, who have flown around the world, set that world record, ambassador for the FAA, being recognized by so many organizations, even governments, I still show up and I'm like, oh my God, who, like, what am I doing here? Um, and it's it's just internal. And I think throughout generations of women just doing it and not thinking about it too much, not, um, not questioning their abilities or why they're there. Like the more we do it, the more the syndrome is just going to hopefully disappear. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so I recently read that the Registry of Aruba partnered with Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, my alma mater, and awarded a scholarship to a female student. How important is giving back, especially to the diverse and minority communities? I think it's super important. I love giving back with my time, my experience. Um, I was very lucky also to not have student loans, but I know a lot of people who do and how crippling it can be to have student loans. And I just felt that whatever we can do to support a young woman financially um, in, and just let them be able to focus on the fun aspects of this industry and their education without stressing about how it's going to get paid for, I wanted to do that. And that was actually... I think one of the first things that I, I implemented when I got appointed as CEO, um, I don't think any any kid in general should ever have to worry about money versus studying. I think to me, that's a big issue that we have in the U.S. where the fact that we aren't as educated as I feel like we should be because of the fact that kids are scared of the amount of debt that they can get into from student loans. And that's just sad. I at the end of the day, like all we have is our education and our knowledge. And I wish that we could kind of change the way that the system works in terms of student loans. So whatever yeah. I could do to help, I wanted to. I saw the LinkedIn post that the uh, Registry of Aruba shared, and it, it talked about the recipient. And um, she was such a bright woman. I, I don't remember her name right now. It's not coming to me. Yeah, and just reading her about her background and what she wants to do in terms of inspiring other people, it's so selfless. And it's like, how would you not support someone like that to continue to train? Exactly. And one of the things that I made it a point to her as well is that, yes, I want to help support you financially, but I also want you to use me as a resource. It's like we have clients from all over. We know people in the industry. So if you need an internship, a job, or just like a connection, reach out to us. Like we're, we're here to help you. I don't want it just to be like, 
we're giving you a check and then we don't want to know anything else about you. Like I, we wanted to, to build a relationship with her and know that she has kind of, um, people that are supporting her. Um, as we're wrapping up this conversation, uh, I'm just curious to know, I, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with astronaut Nicole Stott. She, uh, is labeled as the artistic astronaut. So when she got back from her trips, she decided to kind of bring together her love for art and space. And so she's doing a lot of work in terms of just promoting art within the STEM communities. Do you see a space for bringing your passion for art and business aviation? I definitely think there is. I think that a lot of the clients that we service are pretty much the same clients that um, I used to work with in the art industry. So there's no reason why there couldn't be any crossovers. And we've already done events. So again, through my connections in the industry, I've been able to kind of hold aviation events at art galleries and kind of, we actually did a really cool thing where we connected this uh, air operator with a gallery and they did uh, special missions to Cuba uh, that were art related. So I think that was really interesting. Um, and that was through an event that we held that they kind of met together. Uh, so I, I'm all for my both worlds um, intertwining more. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. I feel like that would really just bring a complete circle to your passions and the work that you're doing. Um, this is a question that I ask all of my guests uh, that come on the show. What is the best piece of advice you have received in your career that you can pass along to other women who are listening to this episode? I think the best piece of advice for me was to remember that you you need to work twice as hard, but at the same time, once you kind of made it, to stay humble. Beautiful. Love it. Um, Alex, thank you so much for being a part of this uh, podcast. It's been so incredible just to learn about you, to, get, to connect with you and have this conversation. Um, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. This was super. I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.